Hello and welcome to the Same House Specialty Spotlight Podcast. My name is Lieutenant Bresnan. I'm a fourth year at Ohio University. I'm also uh, the previous mentorship chair on the National Same Ops Executive Board. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service across a variety of specialties. Today we are fortunate to have Captain Brian Giles with us. So, sir, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what school did you attend? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Dallas, um, a Texas boy. Um, I went to medical school, or I guess I went to undergrad out in BYU in Provo, Utah. And then uh, I went to medical school out at the Georgia campus, PCOM. And then we were lucky enough to, to be picked up for ophthalmology. So I've been doing ophthalmology for the last three years down at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. That's great. What led you to pursue medicine? So I think as a kid, it's always either between like flying an airplane, becoming a doctor, or like an astronaut or something. Um, I actually wanted to fly airplane as a kid and join the Air Force. And uh, I uh, had like a slight colorblindness, or it was enough at the time that the first thing that my, my doctor told me, I was like seven years old, and he was like, well, you can't fly airplanes. And that, that broke my heart as a little kid, and so I turned to my mom and She's like, well, what do you want to be now? And I was like, I don't know. Who makes the most money? She's like, I think doctors do. I'm like, all right, I want to be a doctor. So at the age of seven, I, I decided I want to be an anesthesiologist and learn how to spell it. And that was, from then on, I was going to be an anesthesiologist. Obviously, things have changed over, over time. But, uh, yeah, I guess I've kind of always wanted to be a doctor. And then, so what led that to that change between wanting to be an anesthesiologist to becoming an ophthalmologist? That's a, that's a good question. So in medical school, I felt like, well, I almost felt like because I've been saying I wanted to be an anesthesiologist for so long that I had to, that that's kind of what I had to do or I'd let people down. But then in medical school, you start finding things you really like to do. And I, I found that I really loved doing surgery, or at least, you know, in the anatomy lab. And it's kind of funny. I can look back and, and pick out all the surgeons back in my, after my medical school class, all the kids that kind of enjoyed doing that. And they all are. They're all surgeons now. But, yeah, so I knew I wanted to do surgery. And then after rotating, watching a couple of anesthesiologists in surgery, I was like, man, I want to be on the other side of the curtain doing the fun stuff. And so it actually changed. The first thing I decided I wanted to, I wanted to look into was um, OB-GYN. And then some doors shut and others opened. And I kind of steered a different path and then landed up here in ophthalmology. It's an interesting pathway for wanting to do surgery to figure out what type of surgery. So... How did you steer more towards eyes versus, let's say, if you wanted to do OB-GYN or if you wanted to do general surgery or orthopedics? So, like, what led you towards ophthalmology in terms of surgery? So I, I very much believe that things happen for a reason. Let me back up. I, I feel like if, you're, if you truly love surgery, you're going you're gonna to find happiness and, and joy and love doing any type of surgery to some degree, right? And I, I feel like... Like I said, things happen for a reason, and so I had set up all my 30 rotations to to have my OB guide rotation first. So I, you know, I would love it and know that's what I wanted to do. I mean, just the way that that rotation kind of worked out or the experience I had, I just knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I, and I, I sometimes I even look back, and I have some good buddies that are, that are OB guides, and they're totally happy. And I know I could have been happy, but for whatever reason, things. You know, certain things occurred to me on rotations that I was like, you know what, maybe this, maybe this isn't what's supposed to happen to me. Um, I know specifically, I talked to a couple of different, actually every OB guy that I happened to talk to told me, hey, if, you know, if you're a young guy with a family, like, don't do this. And I was like, oh, okay. 
Um, and the only other one that told me to do it had like never had kids and been divorced. And I was like, hmm, maybe that's a sign. Now, that's not true for everybody, but I think that was just the right amount of people that told me what I needed to hear to change my mind. So, yeah, that's, I, I hadn't heard that before about OB-GYN, specifically with people wanting to have families and, you know, trying to go into surgery, that particular surgery. And it's not. And I honestly, yeah. like, you can find that with, with any other type of surgery. Anybody can tell you that. But for whatever reason, that was, you know, I took that as too many signs to say, okay, well, I'll start looking into something else. So I think this is a, a great topic because I know a lot of medical students who will be listening to this are trying to choose uh, what specialty they're uh, going to go into. So what advice would you have for a medical student, probably like an M1 through an M3, trying to figure out what type of specialty that they're hoping to pursue? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I would, a couple things. Any chance you get to, to explore and see new things, jump at it. If you're on a, your general surgery rotation and you're talking to a general surgeon and, you know, if they're, if they're cool with it and, and, you know, they know everybody in the hospital, so they know all the, the cardiothoracic surgeons and they know all the OB-GYNs, it's totally appropriate to ask them, hey, you know, would it be cool if I watched one of the other cases? Or do you have any, you know, do you have any cardiothoracic surgeons or, you know, any neurosurgeons that I could talk to and just ask them questions? And a lot of those, that networking really comes in, like, the doctor's lounge. You know, so when you go to have those opportunities to be with the doctor you're rotating with, around other doctors, like, like you're going to be a physician. Like, these are your future colleagues. It's not, you know, don't just sit there and kind of be quiet and, you know, act like you're not there. Like, that's your time. Like, this is your education. So take advantage of it. Ask questions. Like, you know, and if your doctor is, like I said, they cool, if they're cool with it, then, you know, reach out and say, hey, maybe, you know, maybe next Tuesday can I come with this one surgery and then jump back in with you and, and I found that by doing that, um, I was able to get experience from general surgeons to cardiothoracic surgeons to, you know, throat doctors, like, like just all sorts of different kind of broad categories of surgery. Because you, you, you may never get experience. Like you may become a, an, op, an awesome ophthalmologist, but you, you know, nobody in your school ever went into ophthalmology or you have no mentors or ophthalmologists or you guys didn't do any rotations. And so you're never even exposed to something. Absolutely, yeah. There's a... There's a very finite amount of opportunities that we can have, and I agree that it's really important that if something comes up, you got to jump on it if you want to figure out what you want to do. Say someone's interested in just about everything. Like, I know a bunch of students who, you know, they go on every rotation and they love every single rotation that they've been on. How would you recommend narrowing down some of those choices? So, like I said, talking to doctors is really important. And then seeing how their, their clinic is structured. Some doctors will like, only let you come into the ORs, and, um, and other doctors you know, let you come into the clinic and see that whole aspect of things, too. And I think that's really important as well, because each like, surgery is fun if you enjoy doing surgery. Um, but then every type of surgeon has a different clinic experience. And so, like, for example, my, I did plastic surgery. And I never really got to go into clinics because that was, you know, his cash-only patients that just didn't want me around, which is fine. Right. But just from going in a couple of times, I was like, I don't really know if this is kind of how I want to have a practice someday, which it wasn't bad. It's just not, you know, how I envisioned how I wanted to do things. There's a lot of surgery specialties that they also get to do a lot of procedures. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll talk to ophthalmology because that's what I'm most familiar with. Um, I get to do laser procedures. I get to do minor procedures, think, take things off eyelids, um, do cancer things. There's, like I said, there's tons of things I can do in the clinic, and then there's things I can do in the OR. And I think that's important, too, to have a good mix of 
the clinic, just to keep things, like, I guess, have variety in what you do. The, I think the reason that I got turned on initially towards OB-GYN was the thought of, of being able to do inpatient procedures and then getting to, to, to be with patients who are at, like, a very critical time in their life. Like, everybody loves their OB-GYN, right? They just do. Like, talk to any, any of my, like, all my, my wife and all of her friends. Like, they all know, they know exactly who the doctor was and everything that they said and everything they did their entire pregnancy. If you ask the guy who took out your gallbladder, like, you may never know that. And I don't mean that disrespectful. That's just so – so to me, I was like, man, I want that relationship with my patients, you know? And so, to, so taking a look at the interactions, what, what the clinic is like between the OR, because you can't do OR – you can't be in the OR all the time. As much as we, we want to do that, like, the clinic is a very important part. Um, there's some clinics that, you know, your clinic experience is a quick pre-op and then, you know, taking staples out. And if, if you enjoy it, that's awesome. Go for it. Um, I find that in ophthalmology, I get to spend a lot of time talking and counseling my patients and, and becoming really close with them. To summarize what you were saying, it sounds like, you know, you just got to really understand what you want in life and not only that, what do you want in your practice? You know, what type of clinic hours do you want? What type of clinic do you want to run? Uh, what kind of coworkers do you want? What kind of relationship do you want to have with your patients? So just kind of focusing on what you want in terms of a lifestyle outside of work and what you want while you're at work. So that, that kind of, yeah. that's a, I think that's an excellent answer, and I couldn't agree more with you. I know that uh, you've received the Resident of the Year Award for, uh, for, for uh, RAMOPS. Yes, it was. So what advice would you give to people who are still in medical school or to uh, interns in terms of how do we develop our officership skills uh, while we're still in school to become better officers, better physicians, and to be recognized by our colleagues? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, so let me kind of start back to my medical experience, school experience. The, uh, I knew nobody in the military beforehand that went through the medical route. My wife's father is a retired artillery officer, did awesome things in the military, but, you know, knew nobody in the military, the medical side of things. And so I feel like my HTSD experience, I was so lost in the dark that first year or two that when I found SAMOPS and went to my first conference, and got to know some of the, 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 the upper-level medical students, and they were able to answer some questions that I had had for two years, I knew that I, knew that I had to, to turn around and get the information back, right? So I went back to my SAMOPS group and was the president that next year and tried to, tried to do a bunch of stuff, basically take all the information I learned and give it back. Because as you go to these meetings and you see all these older physicians who they're not there to – I mean, they're there, I guess, to check the box for CME, but they're really there for, for us, for, for the next generation. And I think that was a big impact on me, knowing that these, that these older officers, you know, these, these upper-level, you know, colonels and, and one, two, three-star generals coming out, like, that was their way of giving back. And so I modeled, I modeled kind of how my experiences with, with them. I've tried to turn around and do that back to the people after me. And I, I remember coming home after that first conference telling my wife, like, I've like, I found the group of people I want to be with and be around, and and I said if there's ever somebody that's in, as lost as I was that I've got to like I owe it to them to to kind of pay it forward. And so I got really involved with, with SAMOPS. I was got to run the the conference two years or 2017 down here in San Antonio. I think the, the couple of years before that we had like 10 or 15 kids. Um, we ended up having like 70 or 80 students. Um, got to coordinate with like all the GME people here and then 
you know, had, had some neat experiences as a medical student that I still, like, I walk around the hospital and I'll see, like, the, the GME director and he'll stop me and say hi to me because of, you know, things we did together in Sam Ops three or four years ago. And so I think one of the best things you can do as an officer is be, be ready to turn around and help the next person up to be able to give of your advice and give of your, give of your time. And you feel yeah. almost obligated to do it because it's just, you feel like it's the right thing to do. Because otherwise, yep. you would, otherwise you wouldn't be where you are. That's exactly right. There, uh, one or two conversations from Sam Ops groups or, when I, or conferences when I was a first or second year really completely changed my trajectory. And, uh, and, I, and because of that, like, I know that at these conferences, like, when someone asks a question, I know exactly how lost they are. And when there's even times where they're asking a question, I know what, what they think that they're asking but what they're really asking. And they don't even know that because they're, they're, they're so lost sometimes. And I, I think that's a good pattern, you know, as you're, but when you're, you know, the next level, when you're resident helping medical students, when you're a young staff helping the residents. Yeah. And then, so kind of going off of that, uh, what's some information that you wish you would have known as a medical student or an intern uh, coming in? Maybe one or two things that you know, what you would have found extremely beneficial or helpful to you as you um, were going through your uh, early medical career? Yeah. Um, I think probably one of the best advice, or I guess one of the things I, I wish I would have understood more so, is that, that the military medical community is extremely close and very tight. And that if you have a question about, you know, maybe like I have a question about what general surgery is like, in, I don't know, Fort Hood um, or somewhere in Colorado, like, it doesn't take very long to, get, to find a Facebook group of military physicians, ask a question, hey, does anybody know somebody here, and bam, the next thing you know, you have a contact information of, like, the program director of somewhere you may end up rotating or some physician that just got out but is willing to turn and answer questions. I wish I would have realized how, how willing people are to, to help and to get people in contact with each other. I remember early on, you know, then my, my medical school um, professors saying, you know, like send, out, send an email to the, the program directors and ask about this. And I was like, I am not about to email a program director. That scares the snot out of me. And so I didn't. Um, and then I get out there and realize that, like, some of these program directors, you know, were residents three, four, five years ago, and they know exactly what you're going through. And, and you send them a question, and, you know, the email you write back with all this information or they send you to one of the residents and stuff. And I guess we, we, we put them on this big pedestal. And I think we should respect-wise, but at the same time, like, that's you in four years. Coming from your standpoint, what have you noticed between military training and civilian training? And I know that you've solely trained in the military, but I know at one point in medical school you were rotating around on the civilian side of hospitals. I wanted to know uh, what kind of, uh, I guess, similarities and differences you would notice in the, the training and practice of medicine between the two. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. So um, mo I'm sure most people listening on this will have done the majority of their, um, their rotations civilian. Most of these guys are or HPSB students, I assume. And so as HPSB students, or as doing all your civilian rotations, I think it's an extremely valuable experience to rotate with doctors who are also, and I don't mean this the wrong way, but doctors who are also businessmen, doctors who have to think about everything else besides just treating the patient. Um, obviously, that's the number one thing, but at the same time, they're dealing with 
their employees they're dealing with how to keep you know how to keep everybody happy at home how to keep the business running how to, you know who's in charge of ordering you know supplies when they run out who's in charge of running the business and then who's in charge of finding new patients and how to how to create new contacts how to um, to get your name out there how to market yourself and so if you pay attention to medical school you you pick up on a lot of those things so i have a business minor and i think my 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 brain kind of just works a little different sometimes because I'm, I'm trying to notice all those things when I'm interacting with, you know, or I used to with, with my physicians um, because those are such an important part of medicine. Like you can be a great doctor, but if you can't organize, you know, your budget or if you can't hire the right people or you can't keep your patients for whatever reason, um, you're not going to be an effective doctor. One of the things that, that I'm gr- so grateful for in the military is that I don't have to worry about any of the other just just junk that other doctors have to worry about. I don't have to worry about insurance. That's probably the number one thing. I don't have to worry about going through all these pre-authorizations to get my patient something. Um, I had a patient call me two days ago, and we're trying to get her. I didn't realize the extent of you know, her seizures, and she's got, I have a feeling she may have a brain tumor, um, but they sent her out to, um, they sent her out to a civilian neurologist after getting kicked out of TRICARE a couple of times. And so she's had these, she's over 50 years old and she's had new onset headaches and seizures for six months. And her doctor couldn't order an MRI, couldn't order the imaging because insurance first requires EEG. So it took her, you know, an extra two months to get an EEG when if she was in the military system, we wouldn't hesitate just to scan her and find out what's going on. And so that aspect is, is really nice. It's a great training now in the military so, for example, when I do cataract surgery, there's different types of lenses we can put in, in, in patients. There's, like, normal lenses that allow you to see far, and there's these more expensive lenses that allow you to see up close and far. One of them, the lens costs $100, and the other lens costs, like, 1200 bucks. Well, in the military, I get to offer what I think is best for my patients. I don't have to then, you know, tell them, well, this is what your interns pays for, but this is what I prefer you to use. Um, and so I love that aspect of it. I came to, to really, like, love the patients. That, well, I guess see, on, as a medical student, I really enjoyed working with the patients that, that my, I mean, my doctor's patients. <laughs> but then you get to the military system, and, you know, you may look out there, and, and half, of your, half of your population are a bunch of old, you know, colonels and one-stars and two-stars that, uh, that are, like, some of the, you know, cream of the crop, the sweetest people on the earth, and they're out there with their family just talking and, and having a good time. And they don't mind waiting around for a couple hours because, you know, the, their appointments take forever because the military is slow. But the patient population we get to treat in the military is awesome. And so, I don't know, there's give and take. As a civilian uh, medical student, I got to be exposed to a whole lot of EHRs that were awesome and see how efficient things are. I turn my computer on now and I have to wait 45 minutes. Our, our EHR just celebrates like 35th anniversary, which like, are we, are we proud of that? Are we happy? Like, right. um, and so I, I literally have to open up like seven or eight programs. Like for me to put, for me to send somebody to the OR and get them all the way through the OR, I have to open up like, I think between seven or eight programs. And uh, it takes me forever to, to navigate all that. So, I mean, there's good take, but. I was wondering, is your location switched to Genesis yet? No, but has it? When is that uh, scheduled to happen? Uh, how many years ago was it supposed to happen? <laughs> um, 
I have, I have no idea. We actually, in ophthalmology, we're a little different because we, we can write all of our notes on paper. It's actually easier for us okay. um, to draw things. And so we've actually kind of had to, like, uh, we've had to use a, a different type of EHR, well, a different type of system to put into our EHR. So just more, more of a hassle. But hopefully Epic will change that, right? That's what we say. Fingers crossed. And yeah. then, so being in the military and being a physician, have you noticed any difficulty trying to balance the expectations of being an officer and your expectations as a physician? Um, honestly, not really, not in residency. They know that our, our main focus is becoming a competent physician. I mean, there's still compu- like CBTs or computer-based trainings that, that I have to deal with all the time that, you know, I feel like it's a waste of my time because... I've done the same training for, you know, four years, and I just click the box and don't pay attention. So I, I get to deal with some of that, but to me, that's not being an officer. That's just being in the military in general. A lot of the – I think a lot of being an officer is, is the leadership you have over the people under you and the people above you as well. And so as a resident, you don't have very many people below you. And so you're really kind of just taking – like that first year, you're really just taking care of yourself and the people around you. And then the second year, you know, you help the first years out. And then uh, as you get older, like you have more people to influence. But I don't feel like there's a lot of – I don't feel like there's a lot of like officer stresses yet, if that makes sense. Uh, I'm not – you know, I'm not the battalion surgeon and running, you know, 60 different, you know, medics and techs helping me out in clinic. I'm not – yeah, like I'm not, I'm not a program director. And so I think it's important to, to learn from your leaders at this point and to, to whatever small influences, the sphere of influence you have to, you know, to be good and to, to help those around you. Um, but I don't feel like being an officer and being a doctor has ever been hard to put the two together, if that makes sense. Uh, and I realize that as, as I get older, I'll take on more responsibility. I'll be a clinic chief or, you know, be the department head or whatever. And I look forward to those. And so I think that when, I, when those positions occur, I think it's more of a balance between, you know, my officer duties and my military duties, or and my, uh, my medical duties. But at least as a resident, we really, we really do get to just focus on, on being a, a physician, learning to be a physician. Just like in medical school, really, in HPSP, they really, their goal is to leave you alone. And, if, mm-hmm. and that's probably the reason that we're, we have so many questions those first two years. They literally just leave us alone and let us go to medical school and learn. And then they, you know, and they have contact with us for our summer trainings and then leave us alone again because in this time, you know, our focus is on is, is learning the medicine and then becoming a good physician. Absolutely. I agree with you. And kind of, you kind of touched on this already. So how do you anticipate, as you go up the ranks, how do you anticipate your relationship with your physicians as an officer versus if you were a civilian doctor, how that might uh, change or influence your uh, relationship with your patients and also with your colleagues. Yeah, so unless you go into academic medicine, most civilian medicine, you're just you'll be in a practice, right? So you'll have you know one or two or you know or, or maybe you're in a bigger practice with, with more partners, and so your leadership isn't necessarily leadership over other doctors. It's working with other doctors, which mm-hmm. is still you know a very important form of leadership. So I think. I think it's really important that the relationship with the patient never changes. Like when they're in the chair and it's their time, like they don't, they should never know or care about what other responsibilities I have, whether I'm, you know, a department chief or whether I'm like the low guy on the totem pole, which I am. 
that that should, so my any of my responsibilities should never affect or change with, with my patient, and I hope that it never changes as a civilian too. Um, when I see them as my patient, but I also recognize that you know they're they're putting food on my table, and I hope that those that those decisions never you know influence them. Um, but being an officer in the in the military versus being civilian, I think you I think you just you have more responsibilities, and that you represent so much more. You represent your profession, but you also represent the military. You represent your country. I feel like people are maybe looking at you more, or you just you just know that the more is kind of weighing on your shoulder. And then in the, like I said, things are different if you're in academics. In academics, you do, you have to weigh all those things. You're no longer just a physician, but you're, you're a, a mentor to, to students. Uh, you may be in charge of research and you have all these other hats you have to, you have to wear. And so in those situations, it really does take a lot more balancing of, of all those together. But I think, I think just because you do other, do other those other things, like those can make you a much better physician as well. And some people think, well, you know, I don't want to, when I become, you know, a clinic chief or whatever, then I have to, you know, I don't get to see as many patients and I'm, you know, I don't get, I don't feel like I'm a doctor anymore. I, I feel like those, those experiences can, can continue to make you a better doctor as well. Kind of changing subjects a little bit. What led you to pursue a military residency versus a uh, civilian residency? Yeah, it's a good question. So growing up in Texas, like we're, it's not unique to Texas, but I was, grew up in a very patriotic home. And I just, I've always, I don't know, I've always loved the military. Again, when I found out that, you know, you'll never fly planes, you can never join the military, I just put that one out and just kind of forgot about it. And it wasn't until a recruiter came to, um, to my undergrad and I learned about the HVSP program. I was like, wait, I can be a doctor and be in the military? Like, heck yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. And then... I started dating my wife, and she was, I mean, her dad, she was an Army brat, so she grew up in the military. She loved the military, and she was completely 100% supportive. And so at that point, it was really a no-brainer. So I, you know, I applied and um, got the scholarship and never looked back. And this is my uh, last question. So what advice would you give students who are uh, in the process of applying for residency? Great. So let me, so let me back up and give some advice to the first and second years. So much of, and, and maybe this will change as, as board stuff changes, but this first couple of years, it is so important that you just work your butt off and do the best you can in your classes. And some of my friends were like, well, I'll, you know, I want to be a you know, certain, certain doctor, and I don't, my, my grades don't really matter that much. Um, or, you know I, know, I know I don't want to do that, so I don't really, you know, my scores don't matter as much. And so, and then by the thing, by the time, you know, third year comes around, they're like, well, maybe, you know, I do enjoy surgery or, man, I'd I'm, I'm re- really like, you know, love to do this other specialty. And, but by that point, they'd already kind of shot themselves in the foot by not giving everything they could in those first two years. Um, and so a lot of doors are shut for them. And so I'd say to the first and second year, just study your butt off and, and do as best you can. Your, your board scores are not the, all, the end all be all. It doesn't define you as a person. It's just a number, or I guess now it's a pass fail, so ignoring this. Um, but you, what you don't want to do is close any doors because of, you know, mistakes or because of your attitude you had in, in two years. And unfortunately, I can do that. You know, if, if you decide, well, I don't really care as much, you close doors and, uh, and shut a lot of things off. Which you guys know that, like, they, everyone's so, so paranoid about their grades anyway, or I guess maybe should be. And so my advice for third and fourth years is once you get out and it's time to start auditioning is to forget that stuff. Like forget, 
I don't, no one cares how smart you are anymore after taking your boards. No one wants to hear about how smart you are. People want to know about you. And so when you're coming out, I know that's hard to do because you focus on medicine for so hard for, and so long for two years. That's like you can't have a conversation with somebody without talking about medicine or without talking about, you know, what you're learning right now. But when you get to be a third year and a fourth year going on your audition rotations, just be you. You know, if you're a quiet, reserved guy, like don't feel like you have to be all bubbly and be somebody you're not and kind of and be awkward. At the same time, like if you're a fun outgoing person and everyone else around you is kind of quiet and shy and you, you, you just want to fit in and not act, just, just be you. And people respect that. If you have talent and interest, find time in that third and fourth year to, to kind of revive some of those old talents and interests. Because if you got to get out on your rotations, you're going to meet people who have started to, to balance life a little better and realize that as much as school and as much as residency and everything is so important, like there's still so much more to, to, um, to, the, to the, this whole experience of becoming a doctor. Also, that being said, is, is when you're on these rotations, like, Obviously, it's important to, to do well and to be prepared. Like, if you're going into a case, to, to know what the case is and, like, look at the, you know, procedures and all that stuff and the steps. It's also equally important to, when you get there, to, to take a genuine interest in the people you're working with and get to know them and let them get to know you as well. Thank you so much again for your time today. It was, uh, this was a great interview. I know that the people who are listening are going to very much appreciate it. This wraps our episode today with Captain Giles. Thank you so much for your time, sir. And for those of you who are listening, I really appreciate it. If you have any uh, questions or if you'd like to hear anything particular, you can feel free to reach out and email sameopseducationshare at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in.